Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, go behind the wheel for some demolition, and then we'll count down the top five very scary, but also very real places. It's genius and stupid at the same time. It is very much staring down your worst fear. You can literally feel the energy of the hit come through your body. It is like a freight train that just goes through you. I've had cars where I'm like, oh, that, that car really sucked. And then on the other side, I, I've driven a few Toyota Camrys that are just indestructible. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. If you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. If you're a longtime listener, thanks for spending your time with us. I want to get right to our first guest. She's a demolition derby driver, our lady of destruction herself, Becca Doyle. How did you get into this? Um, Well, I went to my first demolition derby. I think I was like five years old. My mom took me every year. Our count, like most county fairs have them. And I always was like, oh, that looks really fun. I could do that. Um, But then in 2019, I actually had a real life car accident. Um, I had pretty like significant physical injuries, but I mostly had really bad PTSD in cars. Like I was really nervous about having another car accident. So once I got like medically cleared to kind of do whatever I felt like risking, I decided I was just going to go for it. And <laughs> either it was going to help me not be so uncomfortable and fearful in cars, or it was going to confirm my fears but I wanted to just give it a try so I did it makes total sense and kind of makes no no sense sense at the same time right I don't mean that to be offensive but like okay I I go for it right it's genius and stupid at the same time it is very much staring down your worst fear um but I decided to go for it because realistically for PTSD, your only option and fears are to be medicated for it and kind of live in a fog or overcome it as best you can. Does it seem to have worked so far? Yeah, I actually am really comfortable in cars, um, comfortable in the derby cars, comfortable in my daily driver. 
I really only now get nervous in um, like traffic, like stop and go traffic when I can't account for what the other driver is going to do. Or so that's really when I get nervous, but it's not entirely eliminated that fear, but drastically improved it. And each time I do it, I get more and more comfortable. It's a confidence thing. Um, I feel a lot more confident that I know I can react to someone else very quickly now. I think that everybody is familiar with the basic idea of a demolition derby, but what's kind of, like, what's happening? So a demolition derby, you can start from different positions, uh, like if the cars are next to each other or back to back. The traditional one would be you have, like, a box. On each side of the box is lines of cars, uh, like trunks to trunks. You start straight back and ram, and then from there, um, you drive hitting into each other until one car is running. Um, you really want to hit with the rear end of your car to prevent any damage to your front end, because again, you want to be the last car that's driving. So you really have to be good at driving in reverse, but there are no mirrors or anything to help you go in reverse. So you are physically turning all the way around to look out the back of the car while driving it in the mud usually. You're trying to drive in reverse the whole time. Yeah, as much as possible. Um, I only will drive forwards if I am like relocating within that box to get somewhere else. Or as you start destroying your car, sometimes you lose gears or you can't go in reverse. Or it's like the end and you're trying to beat someone, then I'll switch to driving forwards. But the majority of the time you are trying to drive in reverse as much as you can. So, like, is there a generally kind of accepted strategy to it besides just driving in reverse? Or do you have your own strategy or kind of like you go into a race, what's the game plan? I will usually try to come off that start line as fast as possible to hit the car behind me before they realize I've done it, but also then pull out as fast as possible and get my front end in like a corner of the box and then start work lines backwards, like as much as I can until there's uh, much less cars left. Cause usually in the beginning of derbies, people are really, they're amped up, they're nervous, they're ready to go and they kind of take themselves out by not being smart. So I try to be smart and calm for the first chunk let them kind of weed themselves out. And then I will adjust to more aggressive driving of like, you know, chasing people down in reverse, moving a lot further around the box and stuff like that. But a lower car count is actually harder than a high car count because with a high car count, there's lots of things to hit. With only six cars in the box, you are chasing people and being chased. So you had to be really quick to react because with a lot of cars, you can kind of bop something. You do have a time limit. Uh, depends on the event, but you either have one minute or two minutes that you have to be hitting something. So you can't be playing dead or, you know, avoiding people. You have to be making contact every one to two minutes or you're ruled out. I honestly can't even tell you in the car how long one minute or two minutes is. It all feels like an eternity. So I just hit whatever I can until I can. It's a good strategy. <laughs> so what are the, like, what makes somebody a good demolition derby driver. You have to have grit. You have to get in the car. These aren't luxury race cars. They're they're out of junkyards and they're filthy and they have lots of things wrong with them. You know, you're not going to buy a really nice car to destroy. 
You're going to get it as cheap as you can. You're in the mud. It's dirty. But to be successful, you have to be calm in the car. You can't be freaking out. There's lots of things to react to, lots of things that you can't expect or predict. So you have to be able to maintain your composure while things are seemingly out of control. And then also being able to be logical and multitask. So while I am driving, I am doing a lot of things in my head. I'm listening to the car to hear if it sounds funny, if maybe I have damage. I'm looking at the smoke to see if my radiator is smoking. I'm looking at smells. I'm usually looking in a completely opposite direction of where I'm going to see where I want to go. I have to keep my head on a swivel because a hit can come from anywhere around me. I don't want to be hit, but I want to hit something. So you're kind of like an owl just looking around you at all times. And then on top of that, I have to watch the track officials for if there's any red flags, a black flag, anything at all. I There's no race receivers in these cars. You are very much alone by yourself. So I have to be watching them on top of doing all of that to make sure I follow the track orders. What was that first race like? <sighs> My first one actually wasn't great. I did a women's division in Chino, and I think I drove for like, three minutes before my car just had random electrical failure from a radio getting hit out. Um, luckily, two weeks later, I was doing another derby, and it was my hometown derby. So it was the one that really meant the most for me. So I usually say that that's like my first real derby. Uh, it came really full circle. It was the one I went to when I was five years old. My mom was there. It's That derby is actually only maybe three miles from where I actually had my car accident. Like it's all very tightly knit together. Like the cycle really was completed. Um, and that one, I was the only woman driving, which was really cool for me in my own hometown to get to have that experience, to be the one representing for little girls. When I was a little girl going to those events, I never saw a woman in them. So getting to be that representation as an adult was really, really cool. Um, it was a big car derby. I usually drive compact derbies now. So it was a full-size Crown Vic in the mud um, Aventura Raceway. It was really fun. And from then I've been addicted. Where do you get the cars? Uh, I work with a guy who he owns his own like junkyard and he gets cars that have been impounded or a really good deal. And he builds them. He's very established in the Southern California demolition derby world he drives demolition derbies and has for a long time um so he will build them for us and then we give them back to him because he can part it out or put it into another car it's like a rental almost a lot of people will buy their own cars and build them um but for me this has been an easier option because cars are quite expensive right now like your average demolition derby car like what does it cost to get it going to buy it, all that stuff, right? Like, yeah. So to get it to the derby floor, what do you? What's that going to cost you? It depends on what type of car, and then um, like what what type of derby. If you're doing um, a bone stock derby, which is called chain and bang, where they chain the car shut and then literally bang them, um, you can get a pre-ran car sometimes in the like three to $400 range, one that's been already crashed, but is still drivable. It still works. It just might not have the best steering or it might 
have some kind of odd hiccup to it. Fresh cars in the compacts can usually be like 900 to a thousand dollars if you want like a fresh fresh one the big cars are where they become really expensive like crown victorias are ideal for derby driving people also just love them in general so they're pretty expensive they're in the couple thousand dollar range and then there's even a layer of demolition derbies where they are they're like fully built race cars in the ten thousand dollar ranges where they have um they're reinforced with steel and they have high power engines and all of this fancy stuff because they're intended to drive more than once. And they're in the really big uh, derbies where you have like heat races and then a main event. So it can get quite expensive and it can also be quite cheap just depending on where you end up. How do you then recoup those costs? Uh, when? Or do you just like, this is the cost of doing business and this is what I like to do? Yeah, it's it's a bit of both. You, a lot of people are sponsored. You have sponsors. You work with local companies. Um, a lot of the times I will, instead of a traditional sponsor, if I'm doing some type of special car or event, I'll sell spots on my car for people. Like I did a, uh, a charity derby for breast cancer. So I sold spots on my car where you could honor people with their names instead of a traditional sponsor of like a company. Uh, sometimes I'll sell spots on my rear bumper for people you don't like. You want to put their name to get crushed. Um, and then I work with some traditional sponsors as well where they can put their logos on the car and stuff like that. But the best way to get your money back is to win. How much money are we usually talking? First place is usually for the compact cars, roughly like $1,000. Uh, it can depend on how big the car count is. You know, the more cars, the more money. So it's usually about... 1500 to 1000 for first place. Second place is uh, like 500 and then so on. And you can also win additional money for like the Mad Dog Award, which is, it's usually like a combination of crowd favorite and most aggressive. So if you get that award, it's usually an additional payout on top of that. Is it hard to find people to do it? Mm-hmm. Like how many people are usually involved in the like the demolition derby scene? Is this a popular thing becoming less popular just steady uh, i would say steady there's always new faces always new people wanting to give it a try maybe less women than there are men giving it a try but you'll always see kind of the usual suspects at the same events everyone's it's kind of like a family you know we're all hitting each other out there but everyone knows each other everybody's friends i'm part of a group called the damsels of destruction they drive uh, female-only derbies together. For the people that kind of, you know, come and go, right? Because I can imagine a lot of people is like, I'm going to drive in one of these one of these days. Do they usually get hooked or are they like, I'm not doing that again? It's a 50-50 split. I have seen some people where it's their first time and they make it pretty far in a derby and they're like, that was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've also seen people intentionally park their cars and say, I don't want to. I don't want to go any further. I'm done. You'll know instantly if you like it or don't like it. Now, do, do, does anybody ever quit, though, before they get hit? Like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Never mind. No, it, it usually is that first hit that will be the deciding factor for people because you have to come off the starting line anyways. you got to go somewhere or someone's going to come at you because you're usually lined up across from someone. So if you're sitting there, 
I'm going to come hit you even harder because you're not moving. And I've traveled a lot further. But usually after that first bump, people know either like, I'm really scared and I don't want to do this anymore. Or they're like, that was really fun. I want to keep hitting things. How fast are you usually going when you hit somebody? It depends how fast I can get going. If the box is really small and narrow and muddy, my speed is pretty limited. If it's dustier and a big box, I can carry some good speed. My speedometers never work, so it's all honestly by feel. Maybe like up there would be 15, 20 miles an hour as you're trying to like zip around the box to get to safety. If I'm trying to relocate within the box, like from corner to corner or make a lap to see what's going on, I will drive as fast as that car will let me because I'm much harder to hit if I'm moving at a high rate of speed. It seems like it should be really easy to hit somebody, but then when you think about a moving target, it's actually probably, I would imagine it's more complicated than you would think. It's really hard too because you have a helmet on, a huge helmet. You can only see about this much because the rest of your head is protected. You are physically turning around in the seat to look out where your rear window used to be. Now it's just a hole. Or you're looking over your shoulder out your like rear windows. But the thing that makes it really hard on top of all of that, because there's no mirrors, as you are hitting, your trunk is going upward. It folds upward and in. So it's getting taller and taller and taller. So at a certain point, it's really hard to see over that as well. It becomes very obstructed very I never quickly. I never thought of that. And you don't want to hit people with the front of your car because that's where the engine is, I'm assuming. Right, right. If you are going to hit someone, you would want to hit them as dead on as possible. But you run the risk of killing your own car. So the rear end is your best bet as long as possible. I want to hit somebody's front end where their radiator is with my rear end or their axles and pop their tires. Those would be the three like kill shots that I would want to take. But I want to do all of that as much as possible with my rear end. How, like how many hits can the average car take? You know, I've had cars where I was shocked that they were still moving. Um, the car I drove in Orange County, I I did a head-on hit with someone expecting that to be like, okay, yeah, we're hitting head-on, this is going to kill my car, and the car kept driving. Um, sometimes the stupidest things can kill your car, though. Like, electrical things just get knocked loose or all of a sudden your tire came off and now you're just on rim and you're sinking in the mud with nowhere to go. It's honestly how you react to the damage you take will determine how long your car can survive. So if, if like again, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm calculating in my head what's going on. If I see white smoke, I know my radiator has seven minutes before it's just done. I'm, I'm out. So drive smart. Don't speed up that process. If I can tell I'm losing gears or anything like that, don't be really hard on the engine. Try to make it last as long as possible. So that's what makes you the good derby driver is reacting to what your car is doing to make it last longer. But it really could be the stupidest things kill your car sometimes. Are you surprised at how durable most cars are or at how fragile most cars are? Both. I've had cars where I'm like, oh, that car really sucked. Like I drove a, I think it was a Chevy Cavalier and I snapped my own wheel off in a rut, a rut in the mud, just like nobody even hit me. I snapped it off 
And then on the other side, I, I've driven a few Toyota Camrys that are just indestructible. Like, you can't kill a Toyota Camry if you wanted to. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah. Worst place to crash into somebody, best place to crash into somebody. It is against the rules to hit somebody in the driver's door. So that would be the worst place because you will be kicked out of the derby. Uh, You'll also probably get yourself in a nice fight in the pits later. There's not much in the driver's door. There's one steel beam and however much padding the driver personally decides to put. And that's all the protection you have between you and a car hitting you. The best hit would be a dead-on hit to the radiator or snapping someone's axle. If you get their axle, they're not going anywhere. Where's the axle? Remind me what the axle is on a car. So front wheels, rear wheels. They paint lines on your front tires like an X or one line through. If I hit someone's driver's door and those wheels are spinning, I was on the gas and they know I did it intentionally. If they're not spinning, if that line isn't spinning, I was on the brakes and I wasn't intentionally trying to hit the driver's door. It just happened. So sometimes there's a little bit of overlap, but you try as best to not do that. Yeah, I could say, I would imagine that people like, I. you can tell if that was an accident or not. It, it's undeniable it. if somebody meant to hit you. You're, you're going to know. Hardest crash that you have ever been in? Two weeks ago, I took a hit that knocked me out of the seat onto the floor of the car. That one was pretty bad. I'd say that was the worst. I've, I've been hit out of the seat twice. It's weird, like, if you, for people who've never been in a car accident, like, you don't realize how hard it is. Yeah. Uh, you don't realize. You feel it. Like, it goes through your body. That's exactly how you obviously know better than I do, right? But that's exactly how I describe it. Like, it goes through you, like, shakes you to the to the core. Yeah. I would say that is the one time. Yeah, you can literally feel the energy of the hit come through your body it is like a freight train that just goes through you so then do people get to a point where like oh i can't do this anymore i like it but i just my body can't handle it yeah it's it's a tough realization that i think everyone who does this sport will have to at one point or another decide when it's time to not do it um A lot of people get injured and keep going because they love it so much. But naturally, we will all hit a certain age where it's just, it's really risky. It is really risky. A lot of these cars, they're not set up like a traditional race car, you know. We're not strapped in with special harnesses and Hans devices. A lot of the time, we're just wearing the original stock lap seatbelt or the original seatbelt, but like my arm is over it. It's under my shoulder so that I can turn around. Uh, so it, the safety inside the cars is quite minimal. Is there any kind of a thing in which like, all right, so because of how hard it is on your body, people know I got 20 races, I got 50 races, I got 100 races. I think it be, it gets to a point where instead of doing like, like I did five of them between mid-July and last weekend, Instead of it being like, oh, I'm not going to do them anymore, you'll start cutting down to, I'm going to do one this year, or I'll do two, or I'm going to do one in the summer and one in the fall and really spread them out to give my body a chance to heal. 
most derby drivers you will have to force them out of that driver's seat before they ever make the decision to not do it anymore it really is um it's kind of like an addicting drug once once you really get into it and you're it's a lot of adrenaline that you you can't find doing probably almost anything else but drugs so they'll all get that itch of like i want to be in the car like it does suck watching other people be in the car when you want to be in the car yeah, I would imagine you. You all of your senses are kind of tuned in, right? Like there's a certain amount of rush to it. Yes, the adrenaline when you get out of a car is really high. Half the time you don't even realize if you have an injury because you're just ramped up, and then the next day you're like, "Oh, I'm a little sore." Where is like where is the big demolition derby? Like someday I'm gonna drive there. Like every driver wants to be at this one. Um. The biggest one in the country, uh, I think it's in Ohio. It's called Blizzard Bash, and that that one's pretty big. But for California, Chino, the Chino Challenge is really big. Um, I drive in the women's division in it already, but they're unlimited division with the big, fully welded, ten thousand dollar derby cars is kind of like the goal of where you would want to go if you want to keep going up the sport. But that's really expensive. <laughs> but that one's a really big derby. It sells out every year. The crowd's really wild. It's just like a really great time. Can you? Can anybody have this as a full time living? <sighs> if you worked really hard at it, like really hard at it, but you couldn't live off of it. You're kind of, unless you had really big sponsors that just threw too much money at you, you'll never be able to win enough money to like buy a house or anything. Um, most of the cars you can run twice, three times if you're lucky. So you're continually buying a new car each event. So I wouldn't want to make a living doing off of it. I work a full-time job so I can do this for fun and not have to worry about Oh, if I don't win, I can't race anymore. Kind of take that pressure off. Best demolition derby car, worst demolition derby car. I really like Toyota Camrys, especially like the late 90s ones. They're like nice and big and boxy. And um, if you look up their crash safety ratings, they're really high. I look up that sometimes out of curiosity just to see. Uh, and they're just like tanks. I mean, people still drive them as daily drivers, so... They can really go the distance. The worst one I've had, other than that Chevy that snapped its own wheel off, I drove an Oldsmobile Alero, and it had no power steering. I did get second place in that car with no power steering, but it wasn't the most comfortable car to drive. <laughs> That's the one I got hit out of my seat in, too. Are there any cars that are like, the phrase I always think of is like a glass cannon, right? Where like this car is great for hitting people, but if you get hit, you're in like, I guess, is there a car like that? Or are there any kind of cars like, Ooh, you want to get one of these, 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 and don't get one of these, these, these. I mean, there's probably a lot of compacts I wouldn't want to get in just because there's not much in the back, like a hatchback, right? There's no trunk. So you're hitting right at your own wheels. There's not much oomph to it. So I would probably prefer not to get in one of those. Um, anything that's really like newer cars that are mostly made out of plastic and not the metal, I would want to skip. 
Nissans do well, Camrys do well. I've never driven a Ford other than the Crown Victoria. That car did really well. It had a lot of front end damage early on, but it still uh, was in the winner's circle at the end. It kept running even with all of that front end damage. Any of the like early 2000s, late 90s cars, I would say in that time range is perfect. They're like really metal, really dense, well taken care of if possible. I probably wouldn't want to do it in a Pinto. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. Is there any trash talk during the Derby? Like, are you yelling at other drivers? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, I have a neon pink helmet, so you can see my head usually bobbing around in the car. Um, it's normally not trash talking because everyone, at least in this uh, little circle in Southern California, like knows each other. We're all friends in one way or another. So it's usually like waving at each other, laughing at each other, kind of like, um, you know, if we are under a red flag and we don't know why, we're like asking each other through the windows, like what's going on. Um, you'll see people signaling like this if they're in a final two and they want to do a head on hit instead of trying to battle it out and drag it out. Um, uh, I've thrown my face shield up at someone out of frustration. That's probably the most trash talky thing. But usually it's fun. Everyone's just kind of like talking to their friends through the driver's window. I don't know if this is going to be a great question or a question that I shouldn't really ask you, <laughs> but have have you ever been surprised by a bodily function that occurred after being hit? I think that they mean to like, have you ever like, do people pee themselves or poop themselves? No. In the middle of a demolition. Um, or they don't admit it if, if they do. I've never heard of anyone doing it. I personally, all day I don't eat. I eat like a banana, water, Gatorade, Red Bull. Because I don't want to get car sick in the car. I personally haven't gotten car sick. I don't want to throw up in my helmet. I do know someone who's gotten sick in their helmet just from um actually overheating it's really hot in those cars and we have fire suits on and helmets and the engines are kicking up a lot of heat and you're out of breath and you're huffing and puffing because it takes a lot of muscle and there's a lot of adrenaline so she just overheated and threw up in her helmet that's my worst nightmare i don't want to throw up in my helmet it is in your face so i try to eat as little as possible Drink enough to be hydrated, but not have to pee my pants if somebody were to hit me hard enough. I, I could see how if you got hit at just the right combination of unfortunate events that something like that could happen. That is a great way of putting it. At just <laughs> the right combination of unfortunate events. Um, has, has it ever made you, though, want to run people off the road during regular driving? Like, do you ever find yourself like, wait a minute, not in the derby here? It it doesn't, it doesn't. It really highlights when I am swerving or reacting to someone's bad driving. Um, you know, like they're texting or they're not paying attention and like, you shouldn't be driving that bad. But I never feel like, oh, I just want to ram this car. It's usually out of my system. Well out of my system. <laughs> Is there like a Michael Jordan 
or a LeBron James or like who is there somebody that like that's the best demolition derby that anybody's ever seen? That's hard. Um, I think the the drivers who go to Blizzard Bash are probably the most comparable in that sense. They're like the big boys. They spend a lot of money, but a lot, a lot, a lot of money. People watch Blizzard Bash on TV, but a lot of derbies are more like grassroots in your local community or, you know, it, there, a lot of them are at County Fair. So it's like people who live within that region. Um, so a lot of people will know like local drivers. Um, the guy who builds my cars, Dan Pacella, he's won a lot, like a lot. He's very, 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 very well known in this world. Uh, the Damsel of Destructions are really, really well known. Um, anyone who you kind of see on the podium repetitively, or you can recognize their number or their driving style. Like I always paint my cars the same design so that people can build that car recognition of like, oh, that's Becca. That's her car, Big Betty, 1313, you know, but it's more on a local scale than how like the NBA is like that guy's from LA, but everyone knows him. It's more of within yeah. your community who's who and even more on a granular level it's more of the drivers know who that's my biggest competition that's who i gotta take out first that's who i gotta look out for the crowd just wants us to hit each other as hard as we can oh is there a type of race that like is that's the most extreme or the most risky like this type of race i mean they're all risky honestly especially with the limited safety protocols that you have to follow the big cars are pretty dangerous because they're big and they carry a lot of weight and they can hit you uh, the welded ones roll over quite a bit because their suspension is welded so it's quite rigid they kind of hit each other and bounce so it's easy for them to roll but they all kind of have the same level of risk you know, even in the small cars, while it's a smaller car, there's less car to protect you. So that's almost equally as risky if you were to take a really nasty hit. And there's always the risk of fire, too. All cars have that risk. Yeah, that would be the one thing that I'd be like, ooh, I don't want to mess with that. Yeah, I've been on fire twice. What did you just get out as fast as you possibly? Well, the doors are welded, so what do you... Um, If it's bad... What do you do? Uh... There's there's firemen around the box waiting to come rescue you. Usually they'll get to you before you can get out. If it's bad enough, a lot of the time the fire's just like a little flare-up. They put you out. You keep going. Um, the first time it was in my rear end, and I I could smell it, but I didn't know it was me. And they couldn't see it from the outside, so I, just, I kept driving on fire. Um, the second time it was at the end of the event, uh, a car caught my car on fire. Uh, and they just quickly extinguished us while I was sitting in the car still. Like, b before I had processed, I'm on fire. They were there to put it out. But we have fire gear. Um, yeah. I you don't have to wear it. That's the thing. You can wear either long sleeves, long pants, or a fire suit. But we also have fire extinguishers in the cars with us. And so nobody's ever, like, burned alive in one or anything like that? Not, not to my least. knowledge, but I've seen some cars fully burned. But the person got out. For uh, people who maybe are interested in finding out more about demolition derbies, more about finding out about you, where can they find you? 
Uh, I have an Instagram. It's at beingbecca, B-E-K-K-A-H. Uh, I encourage anyone who wants to get involved, especially any female drivers, reach out to me. Love to help people get involved. Um, I very much am only in the position where I am because somebody helped me, took me under their wings. Um, most of the events are done for this year. Next year, usually July, there's Chino. There's a week-long demolition derby event at the OC Fair where every night there's a different type of derby. So usually in like July and October and those months in between, you'll see a lot of events in Southern California. Fair season is when you see a lot of them. I want to thank Becca so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we've also included her information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Have you ever overcome a fear? I wouldn't actually say that I have fears. What about parking lots? You've talked several times that you're afraid of parking lots. Well, anxiety, I think, is different than fear. Um, It's not that I fear a parking lot. Like, I'll go into the parking lot, and I will kind of go head-to-head with another car. I'll just give in. I don't know if that's fear. Would you ever participate in a demolition derby? Absolutely. That's actually like a bucket list thing for me. I I would love to do that. How come you haven't done it already, then? I do feel like that's a thing that a lot of people would like to do, but not necessarily something that somebody actually goes ahead and takes the step to do. I'm just not, I've never had the opportunity unless if it's been there, I've never noticed it. That should be a bucket list thing for me and you to do. Have a profoundly pointless entry into a demolition derby. We could actually sponsor somebody now that I think about it. We could sponsor <laughs> Becca, who is our Let's guest do this it. week. We could sponsor her. Okay, that would be it. We'll sponsor demolition derbies. That's what we're going to do. Other people sponsor things like Save the Trees. We're going to sponsor demolition derbies. What else is on your bucket list then that you want to do? Give me the John Shaw bucket list. I can tell you one thing that that I would love to do uh, within reason would be dropped on a desert island in the middle of an ocean. uh, Maybe for just a day, day and a half. Um, I don't know. There's to something about die? that. To me that... Because you're not going to no. survive. Not to die, but just, uh, that, I don't know that it, it could, I mean, how, how freeing would it be to be the only person within hundreds of miles and all you are is on like a little hundred foot sand hill in the middle of the ocean. I, That'd be pretty awesome. I think you'd enjoy that for about two hours yeah. and then realize the like, oh wait, bastard, I'm stuck here for another how long? Well, I don't understand your fascination with this. I have no idea. I've always been fascinated with it. It's kind of like, uh, and I don't even know if that's a bucket list. Like, okay, fine. Here, here, here's an actual bucket list item that that I think will make sense. Uh, I I would love to go parasailing. Is parasailing the one where they like, they you're behind the boat and you just go up in the air? Yeah, but like, I want to once again. I want to go out into like the an ocean and you're like get up and above it i mean that's not really like a super hard thing to do though right it's like my bucket list is i want to go and rent a kayak <laughs> like yeah dude you can just go down there but i think that's a good point though that you bring up i think people's bucket lists are are they're all different that's what makes it 
that's what makes them awesome. Like, what's what's something on your bucket list? I want to go to Rome because I was an ancient history major, which was a complete waste of money and time. But I would like to go see Rome. I'd like to go to a Dead Mal concert, just ripped out of my mind. I feel like you should make a buck actual bucket list at this point. I mean, there's there's bands I want to see, there's things I want to do, but I I don't know if any of those are, you know, they're just personal things on my bucket list or nothing crazy like, you know, like I I something on my bucket. I love to go into space. Never gonna happen. You never know, man. Things can change pretty quickly. It's weird. That if you look back on it, like, oh, things don't seem to change that much in the moment, I don't think. But then if you look back on it, you're like, whoa, things have really changed a lot in the last 10 years. Like in our lifetimes, John and I are both in our mid-30s. In our lifetimes, we could go to space like, and maybe have it not be super crazy. Like I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, 50 bucks, hop on your ticket to the moon, but... <laughs> I mean, it could be in the tens of thousands of dollars and you could still go. I mean, I, I guess we are still young enough that there are avenues to space. I mean, for both of us. But anyways, that, that that's it doesn't matter. Think of that's, our grandparents that, where they basically didn't have cars. All right, let's, uh, let's give some shout outs. Some shout outs, outs, outs. All right, uh, I know you love, uh, let's see. Carla Rochello, uh, James Paul, uh, Nikki Barnes, uh, Drew Parney, Alistair Bailey, Wayne Barriman, Devin Baker, Rob Neeser, uh, Carly Nofziger, Diary of a Dessert Alcoholic. I can appreciate that. And uh, Scrawny Joe saved you for last, Scrawny Joe. I don't actually know if you're scrawny, but uh, props on the... On the handle. I did in high school one time something that I still feel actually very badly about is that I was at somebody's house party one time and I didn't really know the people and I peed in the utensils drawer and I've always felt bad about that. <laughs> Could you imagine being an adult, coming home, finding out your kid had a party and somebody peed in the utensils drawer? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably be pretty pissed. Um, and Because you, you know they probably didn't realize it, at least for... Till the next morning, if not midday, at least. Okay, that's a legitimate question. If you peed in a utensils drawer, or any drawer, how long would it take before somebody would figure it out? I mean, in mine, it depends where you where you peed, I guess. You know, I we have a pretty decent-sized utensil drawer, and I usually go to the same area because uh, I use the same utensils for most meals. So, I mean, if you're peeing and, and like... Pretty much everybody does. <laughs> no. sorry i meant you know i meant like a the pizza cutter you didn't you know, invent your counter. own you haven't invented your own utensils i wish my mic would drop out right now uh anyways no, it probably it, it could take me days i don't know it depends it probably start to smell after a while right especially if you've were dehydrated or been drinking beer or eating bad food. Oh, yeah. Oh, I bet that dad was pissed. I, I, I hope that you apologize to Stacy and her family. I don't actually even remember her name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember. That's actually, that's a valid question, actually. I was having this conversation with somebody not too long ago. Uh, and are we getting to the point? Is it okay? And I, I'm not saying that, you know, sleeping around is okay, but. 
you know, you're younger, you do things, whatever. Is it a, at our age, mid thirties, is it okay to maybe forget most of the names when you were younger, whether you're a man or a woman? Yeah. Is it okay? Good. I mean, not if they like meant a lot to you, right? But like, I don't know. Well, who means a lot to you know? I would actually make an argument that I believe it's referred to by the kids as body count. I don't know half of the names on my body count. Not that mine's like a crazy number. I would actually say that mine is probably lower than most people's. But I still don't remember the names of half of them. Okay, so of your body count, how many people do you remember the names of? Everyone. I have their initials edged into my arm. I could actually see you being very emotional. No, man. I mean, honestly, I, I, I'd i say probably 50%. I mean, I, I was quite a drinker back then so you know yeah yeah that would be my reason too is right it's not because there's so many it's just because like i was drunk that's yeah, the I, real reason whether somebody wants to admit it or not i bet you it's 50 percent and above for most people if you partook in those kind of activities uh when you were younger it's okay dude right you don't have to talk about it like it's some big mystery right people have sex it's not a big <laughs> deal right it's okay i know i know <laughs> No, I'm just, you know, all right. just trying to. You can, yeah, whatever. What are you trying? Oh my God, it's sex. <gasps> Is it Listen, weird that we're right. having this conversation on my wife and I's marriage anniversary? Oh, is that today? That's today, eight years ago. Oh, well, listen, no one cares about the questions I have for you. Tell us what you did today. Tell us what you're going to do. You're going to get a little, make her, maybe take her out to Outback, huh? Get did you not hear the part where I said we've been married for eight years? <laughs> We didn't even get each other anything. I think that's fair. I think I think gifts are overrated. But like, you know, what are you gonna give her a back rub? No. All right, you have your questions. Let's go. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, what what would you be willing to try first or more? Uh, Wendy's cereal, and it's based upon uh, their fries and cheeseburger, or McDonald's cereal. Based upon their Big Mac in fries, and yes, these are real things. And the reason why I'm asking you is, I was I stopped in the grocery store aisle and was like, "Wait a second, is this real?" And yes, they are real. For some reason, I feel like Wendy's would actually make a better cereal. Ever since yeah, they sure. branched out to chili and were like, "Ooh, they're doing something a little bit well, different here," I would say that Wendy's would make a better cereal than McDonald's simply because they seem to have a more diverse menu. Except every time, is it just me or is every, every McDonald's in every city in the United States always busy? Always. Yeah. They're not in I don't, the restaurant business, John. They're in the location business. Which is, I mean, quite smart. I mean, that's... Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, they're a real estate company if you really think about it. Hmm. Anyways, that's actually a good point. Um, <laughs> Which one of these luxury items... Would you have a private boat, uh, a private jet, or like a private, uh, like horse-drawn carriage to take you wherever you need to go? Well, I'm talking about like a carriage. Like these horses can run like 40 miles an hour. The carriage has HD TV. It's like the be- most badass carriage you've ever had. I would rather ever spend. Had. I I would rather spend one hour uncomfortable than three hours incredibly comfortable. So I'm gonna take a jet. What kind of question is that? Who's going to take the carriage? 
Give me the boat, man. Are you kidding me? A luxury, a luxury, a yacht, a luxury boat. Give me that all day over a plane, over a, a carriage. And I actually think a carriage would be a, a more popular choice than you're giving it credit for. I don't think that out of a thousand people, I think you would have to get into the tens of thousands of people before you finally got someone to say that they would want to have a carriage over a jet or a boat. Like, hey, what do you want? Jet, boat, horse-drawn carriage. You're going to have I'm, to ask over 10,000 people before mm-hmm. somebody's like, I'll take the carriage. This is brought up. I, I, this, I thought about this because I was having a conversation with somebody, and they were telling me about how they were just on their anniversary, and their partner got them horse-drawn carriage, and it was like a three-hour trip, and they went 20 miles, and it was wonderful, and they had champagne and a butler, and I'm like, what, what kind of fucking carriage were you on so then i did some searching where did they, and they have luxury carriages yeah dude they just go around like a park or something it's not like something that somebody would personally want to have i see i think you're wrong i think i i i don't disagree with you i think plane and boats obviously are one and two but one out of ten to, no I, I think you get 10 out of 100 to say carriage no I think you'd get 10 out of a million. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's see. What do we have to chat about today? So the options were uh, the Jeffrey Dahmer Halloween costume, uh, which essentially it's actually quite terrible. Uh, Apparently, his mask is the number one seller out of Halloween costume masks so far this Halloween uh, because of the Netflix show. And when you really think about it, to glorify, you know, a mass murderer. Like a real-life mass murderer is kind of sad uh, and kind of terrible. Uh, so that was one of them. Uh, it is National Pasta Day today as we're recording this. Uh, Harrison Ford is back in Hollywood. He's being casted in uh, uh, Captain America 4 because there's already he left? four of them, I guess. Dude's I, in I guess. every movie every, like, two weeks. <laughs> Nothing like this. Uh, or the spookiest c- cities in the United States. And uh, spookiest cities won. Uh, so I'm not really sure how to say this uh, other than to say the cities and, uh, I guess, get your reactions. Um, so Travel and Leisure released their 10 most spookiest cities to either travel to or live in. Uh, we'll start at number 10, uh, San Antonio. Number nine, Salem, which... How's that number once nine? It, that sounds yeah, like that should be way higher. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Um, San Francisco. Oh, I can sense. see it. It's a little spooky. Uh, Wa- Washington, D.C. Uh, six is Gettysburg. Once again, I'm that's kind of low. Uh, I figured that would be higher. Yeah. Uh, f- five is Portland. Don't even know why they're on the list. Uh, St. Augustine, Florida. I thought this was going to be number one, but uh, Savannah, Georgia is number three. Chicago is number two. Can I try to guess number one? Sure. New Orleans. You you, you get the gold medal today, I guess. I could actually see. If I was going to make my list, I would go New Orleans, Savannah, Gettysburg, Salem. I'd... Probably, I probably, I probably go like Salem, uh, Savannah, Gettysburg. Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, I understand. I guess I just don't know enough in terms of New Orleans as to why it's on there. Um, Voodoo. I, I don't, hoodoo. It's Creole. 
Um, but yeah, I, uh, check it out if you want for yourself. It's on travel and leisure.com. But, uh, um, I've probably been to four of those cities and I didn't do a ghost tour on in, in any of them. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I have no real desire to be scared in life. I just feel like I would ruin it. Like, you know, I, I really feel like we'd be in the basement of some mental hospital that's been abandoned for 20 years and somebody's trying to, you know, play it up because that's their job from what I imagine. Because I've, I've, once again, I've never been on one of these things, so I, I have no idea. But, you know, and they're like, oh, you hear that? Tick, tick, tick. And I'd be like, yeah, it's the water. It's dripping from upstairs. I feel You're like ruining it. everything, anything that has a tour attached to it is probably not really that scary of a place. Like it's got to be some place that's like condemned and they don't want you to go. That would be scary. If there's a tour to it, it's not that scary. That's my official policy in life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. If, if it's become a tourist attraction, probably not that scary. Right. Because the tour group's then going to get sued. Like what if you're a tour group? And you're like, we're going to go to the haunted mansion. And then it is haunted and somebody gets killed by a ghost, right? Like, you got to watch it. It's Everything revolves around a lawsuit. <laughs> that's just good. Liability, man. That's, liability. That's like, why. You can't have a tour group there, man. When the Blair Witch came out in 98 or 99, they blurred the lines of reality. And that's what made that movie so definitive uh, for the for horror movies and everything else. You didn't know. If it was real or not at the time. I never saw it and have no intention of ever seeing it. You know what? I, I watched it last year around this time. It's it's obviously a little dated, but it the way it's shot, I mean, it's just three people in the woods with that with handheld camcorders. Um okay, so our top five is top five real life scary places. Not like locations that are supposed to be haunted, that kind of stuff, but like real places that you have to go that are scary. What's your number five? First of all, I, I love this, this list. It's a great this is, list. This should be, I like it. This should be fun. Uh, all right. My number five, uh, is, I just have the doctor's office. I feel like that's a little bit low for the doctor's or high for the doctor's office. But I also kind mm-hmm. of understand it. Like, I have a general idea. The doctor's office is a little more hopeful. Like, I'm going to get this thing fixed. <laughs> It's I, I yeah, and it doesn't always have to be because you have a problem, right? You can go get a physical, you can just go for your annual checkup. Uh, as where other offices, usually once you go in, there's other things that happen. It's usually never uh, oh, I'm just going in to make sure I'm healthy kind of thing. So yeah, I have a doctor's office, that's my number five. My number five is the driver's license place. Because <laughs> you have no idea how long that's gonna take. How much it's going to cost if you're going to be able to do it because maybe you have some parking tickets that you don't know about. And then you see like the rest of society and you're like, holy shit, these people (laughs) Uh, exist. So it's called the Secretary of State's office. Uh, It's called the DMV where I'm from. Department of Motor Vehicles. I get get what you're saying, uh, but I feel like nowadays you can do it all online. So it's not not scary. You can just – walk in oh, okay spokesperson then you go <laughs> next time right try to go get your passport see how many things you got to do you well, never know if you have the right stuff with you a four-way stop oh yeah 
<laughs> you, nobody knows the real rules, right? Like, I understand the person to the right goes, but nobody actually knows who got there on the right side first. I agree. <laughs> That's and just chaos. At least 50% of the time, you start to go, and then one of the cars going the opposite direction, or, you know, going the other direction starts to go, and then you both stop, and it's just, that's anxiety-inducing. Yeah, especially if you're going to make a left. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. My number four is airport check-in. Just fucking awful. I dread that more than anything in life. I'm not going to go on a trip where I have to get on a plane for two months, and I'm already like, (laughs) God. Airport shook. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's once again. I I guess I've never had a bad experience, so I I don't. I I've never really looked at it as stressful or anything or like scary. I've always hated it, be just because it's one of those things where like everything about this is more complicated than it should be. Every single part of this is ten times more difficult than it should be. I think that's fair. To number three, uh, my number three is a lake. Ooh. Um, okay. You know, I, I, I am not one of those people who will just, you know, whatever. You can see land all around you. You're maybe 20 feet off the shore. I'm still not jumping into a lake voluntarily. Okay, but what body of water are you most afraid of? Ocean, lake, river? I mean, we could go into no. ponds and stuff, but let's you, just keep it to those no. ones, the big ones. I'll just cut you. I, ocean by far. I am completely scared, but yet fascinated by the ocean. I trust the ocean more than I trust a lake. I don't like the idea, because whatever's in there, it's not going anywhere. Right? At least in the ocean, like, it could... The ocean's a big place, but in the lake, like, I don't know what's down there. Yeah, I just... I I don't know. I just... Yeah. I mean, I could put lake or ocean, but... Lake, I think, is more reasonable because when's the last time you just jumped into the middle of the ocean? Never. Yeah, most people probably die. And yet you want to go to a deserted (laughs) island. Uh, My number three is Target. Because I have no idea how much this is going to cost me. (laughs) Uh, I'm not like that in Target. Uh, Costco, if I was going to put a store on Costco, is where I I walk out and I'm like, how the fuck did I just spend $400 on Five items. Do you think anybody has ever spent less than $100 at a Costco? No, I think it's impossible. I don't think it is possible, right? To, I, and you actually have to be going, like, oh, I got to go to Costco. Not like, I'm yeah. going to go to Costco. Like, I got to go. And you can't get out of there for less than $100. Like, unless you have a family of 15, there's no reason why you need four pounds of blueberries. I go through, I actually buy two, three pound bags of blueberries a week just for myself. I eat a lot of blueberries. Well, and you take Metamucil, so that explains why your system's moving. I'm as regular as you can be, man. 5.30 in the morning, boom, like clockwork. (laughs) Like absolute clockwork. It really is. Uh, What's your number two? Uh, Public restrooms. Mmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, maybe they're not so much scary, but it's definitely like when you open the door, most of them, you're definitely thinking to yourself, like, what the fuck is going to be on the seat or what's going to be left in the bowl? You know, like what's on the toilet paper dispenser? Specifically porta potties, I would make an argument. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, yeah. 
And if it's a porta potty that's like always there, like at a park, as opposed to like an arena or something like that, where at least they bring them in and bring them out, like, I there's gonna be bodies in there. I will say this: the worst uh, porta potty experience outside of one that I will not tell the story over uh, yet on the podcast. But the worst uh, porta potty I've ever been in was a construction site porta potty. That was terrible. That would have to be the worst. That would be the worst porta potty in the world. Yeah, that was terrible. Music festival five days in, I could go pretty high up there. Uh, wait, did you just do New Year two? Yeah. Yep. My number two is uh, boss's office. That's just okay. It's never good. I guess. I mean, it, it it's usually good. I mean, uh, at least in my experiences, except for twice, three times. Except for when you just get straight fired. <laughs> yeah, that's you know whatever it happens. Um, I'm a- yeah, I mean, I get it. I I think it's intimidating to to most people to get called into your boss. That's why when I have to talk to somebody. Uh, I usually always put, and I learned this, and maybe this is a tip for all you young aspiring managers out there, is if you're going to talk to somebody, don't send them a blanket text saying, hey, can you come to my office? Uh, Because then, like what you said, it gets the wheels turning. But I've learned that maybe if you say, hey, can you come to my office? It's nothing bad. Then the person on the other end goes, oh, they just want to talk to me about something, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not to get yelled at or to be disciplined or something. That's when you lie to them. Like, hey, come to my office is nothing bad. For oh, me, yeah, yeah. you're fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to do the, hey, come to my office. Why? Because you're fucking fired. But I don't, I don't think I Yeah, I don't do think that. you can really joke like that when you're a manager. Not like real life. Like even if you're like the cool one, you can't be like, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, I would just say that after of every 100 trips that I've made to a boss's office, two to three of them have been like positive like oh well this is good news not just kind of like a thing that you need to do or an adjustment that you have to make like oh that's good oh that's it so you're gonna say like oh yeah two percent of your trips were good everything else is negative oh yeah i would say so and i have generally been at least a average employee uh okay what's your number one uh the dentist office my number one is dentist. It has to be dentist, I think. It it has to be. And I, I don't even think there's anything close. Uh, maybe maybe jail, but once again, that's not like an every, you know, that's not a normal place that people go. What's on your honorable mention? Uh, what do I have? Let me bring it up here. Uh, I have, uh, let's see, your parents' bedroom, an attic, uh, mm. uh, forests. Uh, a dark basement. Yeah. Uh, Storage remote, room. <laughs> yeah. Remote gas stations. Uh, and then uh, I, have, I have rest stops and roller coasters. Those are all pretty good. Yeah, I would put it in like, I would throw in county fairs. <laughs> yeah. Car- can we just say carnivals? Carnivals. I would put it carnivals. in carnivals. Like city carnivals. Oh, okay. That's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. 
We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. And we are starting to put more of our episodes up on YouTube now. So if you want to see the video portion of this, that's a great place, I think, to check out. We put up new episodes on Thursday, usually around 4, 35 o'clock Pacific time. It's oddly specific, but I felt like I should put in all that information. And let us know what you think are some of the places, some of the really scary places in life. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.